began a series a few weeks ago called The End, coming off of a pandemic year with still a lot of uncertainties here and around the world. People are asking big questions. What's going on? How is it going to end? And so this series began with some really provocative questions. The first week we talked about just this. Are we living in the end times? And then we went to, uh, when is Jesus coming back? And then last Sunday, we, we asked this question, is hell real? And next week, we're going to end the series with this question, what is heaven going to be like? Don't think you're going to be bored floating on a cloud with a harp. It's going to be incredible. But today, we want to ask the question, what happens when you die? You know, I hate the topic of death. It's an awful topic, and yet the truth is, every single person who ever was born and has been born is going to die. It's inevitable, unavoidable, it's awful, and yet it's so real. I heard the story of a very rich man. He was a rich man, but he was also very stingy. And he, he was telling his wife, when I die, I want you to bury me with all of my money. Do you promise? And so time and time again, he made her promise that when he died, she would bury him with all of his money. And then finally, he died. And at the funeral, his wife is standing at the front of the chapel and her friend, a very good friend, comes up and she had known about this conversation. And so she says to her friend, so are you really going to bury him with all of his money? And her friend opened up her purse, pulled out a little white envelope and said, I sure am. I wrote a check. And she put it in the casket. You know, of all the frightening things that you and I could anticipate, I mean, you, I don't know, maybe you're afraid of heights. Someone said, I'm not really afraid of heights. I'm afraid of falling and dying from heights. Yeah, that's true. Maybe you're here and you're afraid of closed places. You kind of are claustrophobic. Man, that can be unnerving for those of you who are claustrophobic. Aren't you glad you're in such a nice big room today, right? It's awesome. Well, I read the story of a guy named Danny. And Danny's friend invited him to uh, go spelunking. Spelunking. I don't know how to spell it. Nor do I know how to say it, but it's something like that. It's, it's exploring caves. That's what that's about. It's a fancy word for that. And Danny was kind of an adventuresome guy, a big thrill seeker. And so his friend says, hey, Danny, there's this really cool cave. Do you want to come and explore it with me? And he said, man, I sure would. Let's do it. So they begin going through the cave. And after they got through the main part of the cave, he says, hey, listen, there is an even cooler place if you would be willing to go through a small passageway, but when you get to the other side, it is amazing. And Danny says, sure, I want to do that. And so they, they begin to go through this, this small passageway. I mean, it got so small, pretty soon they were on their hands and knees trying to wedge themselves through this little passageway. But it kept getting even smaller. And so they had to lay down on their back and they were scooting themselves through the very narrow passageway. And it kept getting even smaller to the point 
where, as Danny described it, you couldn't breathe and move at the same time. You had to exhale, and then only after you've exhaled could you inch your way just a few more inches into that narrow passageway. He said, breathing and moving just didn't work. He said, about that time, he says, I began to freak out. I'm thinking, what in the world am I doing here? I could die here. I, and he says, as I started to lose it, my friend said, now, I, 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 you, you might be starting to flip out, and I, I, just, I just want you to know something. You've you got to listen to me. There's no way of getting out. You have to keep moving forward, not knowing how small this thing was going to get. And it kept getting smaller and smaller. And his friend said, Danny, I know you're nervous, um, but you, you've got to pay really close attention. You've got to listen to my voice. If you let your mind run wild, you'll never make it. You'll flip out. But I've been here before. I know what's going to happen. You can trust me. You can make it. You just have to keep listening to my voice every moment. And then do you know what happened? Danny died. No, he didn't really die. I actually practiced this on my wife. And she gave me that look like. So thank you for laughing. Um, he said he kept on going. He had to just zone completely out and only listen to the voice of his friend who constantly encouraged him and said, I know where we're going. I've been through this before. You know, when I think about death, I hate that idea. And there is only one man who's ever lived who died and came back to life and talked about it. His name is Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 15, it, it says this. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood. That's you. Flesh and blood, you know. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood. The son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. What? The reason Jesus, the God of heaven, became a man and took on a body was so that he could die in that body? That's exactly why. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. That's what Jesus came to do. In John chapter 11 is an incredible story of Jesus. He had, he had this family, these brothers and sisters that, that uh, they were dear friends. The brother's name was Lazarus, and there was Mary and Martha, and he would often go and visit them. And then one day, while he was out preaching, Lazarus got sick. And he went downhill fast, apparently. And he was so sick, they sent word for Jesus to come and help. Because Jesus, he could do miracles. He could heal people. And so they called for Jesus to come back. But he didn't come back. And Lazarus died. And he actually had been dead for four days. 
by the time Jesus now came to call on the family. And he had this conversation with Martha, and she's like, if only you'd been here. I mean, you could have saved my brother, but you, you didn't come. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus is the only one who died and came back to life. Jesus declares himself in John 11. He said, I am the resurrection. You get through death, you want to get to a resurrection. What is the way? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the one of resurrection. You know, I love John 11. Um, John eleven thirty five. 35, when I was a little boy, I always memorized this verse. Because, I mean, it's easy to memorize. You can memorize it right now. Here's how it goes. Jesus wept. That's what it says. It was a great easy point if you were doing a Bible drill. I mean, it was awesome. But then, you know what? If you unpack this passage... Jesus actually stands at the tomb before he begins to weep. And the Bible says that he groaned. Another way to translate that was that Jesus rages in that moment against death and dying. The loss of his friend, the pain on the face of his, his, his dear friends Mary and Martha. And Jesus, he rages against death because you see Jesus had attended every funeral since Abel died, the very first man to die, and he attends every funeral, and this was not the plan of God. It was not the will of God that people would die and lose and be separated and mourn. And Jesus, like the warrior king, rages against the enemy of death, and he calls Lazarus back from the dead. But then later Jesus invades the kingdom of darkness and death like a, like a nuclear missile shot straight into the center of sin, death, and dying, and even to where the devil himself is. And the way Jesus conquered death was to die and to rise again. We all hate this idea of death. The question is, what happens when I die? And Jesus, in Luke chapter 16, he, he fills in some details, actually. Luke 16, verses 19 to 20, he talks about two men. There's the rich man and Lazarus. By the way, this is not the same Lazarus in John 11. Lazarus was a common name. This is a different Lazarus. But Jesus tells a story. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. That's the life we're all chasing, isn't it? But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. I mean, these two men represents, represent opposite ends of the spectrum for how people live on earth. One was very rich. He dressed the best. He ate the best foods. And the other man named Lazarus was very poor. He apparently was not well. Don't know why 
why he was not well. Don't know why he was so poor. But they said that they laid him every day at the rich man's gate. That implies that he couldn't walk there on his own. He was so he was so um, sick that he had to be carried. He was helpless, hungry, and poor. And he, he was there hoping that maybe this rich man would be at least compassionate enough to give him some leftovers. And then they both die in the story Jesus tells. Rich men die. Poor men die. Everyone dies. And then he continues the story. And we learn some things about what happens when we die. The first thing that we learn is this. After you die, you will be wide awake. Because in this particular passage, it says that the beggar died and he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and in torment, he woke up in a place called Hades. Everyone dies, but we don't go away, we wake up. The second thing that we learn from this passage is this, that after you die, you will immediately be filled with amazing gratitude or incredible and great regret. Lazarus died, and he was carried away into Abraham's bosom. Man, life had been hard and painful and difficult. But now that he died, he awoke and all was well. It was so great. I mean, he was filled with amazing gratitude for the goodness and the grace of God in that moment. You know, I'll, I'll never forget standing beside the bedside of one of our dear ladies. Her name was Valera Cummins. Some of you may know her. And she called me because she knew she was dying. And so I went to go visit her, and uh, she wanted to talk about her funeral. And her instruction to me was, Pastor, I want you to keep it short. <laughs> she was awesome. She says, I got three of you going to say a few words, but you need to all keep it short. She had earlier in the day said to the people around her, um, you know what, they're waiting over there to walk me over. That was her term, to walk me over. You know, she died with such peace. Valera knew Jesus so well. She had been talking to him and serving him and walking with him for so long. As I observed her, this was not a frightening juncture. Because they were there, ready to walk me over. The rich man also died and he was buried in being in torment in Hades. This is verse 22. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off, Lazarus in his bosom, two very separate places. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Now one interesting thing about how Jesus 
describes these two men very opposite was that in the day of Jesus, it was assumed that if you are wealthy and blessed and succeeding, you must be living in the favor of God. And your the blessings and prosperity is an indication that God is at work in your life here. And of course, you're going to be fine on the other side. I mean, so this was kind of a shocking story when, when Jesus counters that narrative and says, actually, that's not always what happens. Because you see, uh, you cannot determine whether God is good and whether God is faithful based only upon your prosperity and everything, because all of us experience suffering and pain and loss. And, and this, this whole thing says God is even good during those difficult times. And the people that were listening to Jesus, I'm sure they were shocked and disturbed because so many wealthy people who actually didn't have a relationship with God had this false sense of security. And Jesus intended to shake them up. You know, in, Jesus had this to say about another rich man in Luke chapter 2. Uh, it was a man that had, he, he had a bumper crop. And he says, oh, wow, I've got so much grain. I don't know where to put all of this. I'm going to have to build bigger barns. And, and in verse 19, it kind of exposes the nature of his thoughts and the, the philosophy of his life. And he said, he said, I will say to my soul, soul. You have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? He says, you're a fool if you're not rich toward God. You don't have a relationship with God. And this was the case of this rich man. Now, I, I want to just say this, that... Um, in the story is Abraham. Abraham was one of the wealthiest men in the Old Testament. This is not about the evils of being wealthy. It's not it at all. It's not about the virtue of being poor. There are a lot of poor people who don't have a relationship with God. There are a lot of rich people that have that do not have a relationship with God. There are rich people that love God, follow Him. I mean, they are generous and compassionate. I mean, I know some people like this. There are some people that are very poor, have very little, but they give everything they can to accomplish the mission. And that's why we're able to do stuff like we, we did for Freeway. Because we want to be the, the hands and the feet of Jesus in a real way in this community today. Abraham in James chapter 2 is even described as the friend of God. Rich or poor, that's not the issue. The issue is, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And that and that alone will determine what happens when you die. You will be fully awake, and you will wake up either in a place where you are flooded with incredible gratitude or you'll wake up in a place where you'll be eternally dealing with the regret of your life. This man is in such agony, he says, um, Father Abraham, would you send Lazarus to go dip his finger in some water and send him to cool my tongue for I am so tormented in this place, in this fire. I mean, he doesn't ask for a lot. He doesn't ask for a whole bucket of water. He doesn't ask even for a glass of water. 
his, in his Im wildest imagination, the level of torment is so great that even to have a moist finger drop a drop of water on his tongue would be incredible comfort. And here the answer is, Abraham says, no, can't happen. See, there is this great gulf fixed between us. So no one where you are can come here and no one where we are can go there. Because as Hebrew says, 927, it is appointed unto man once to die and after this, the judgment brings us to the third thing Jesus points out and that is this after you die there is judgment and there are no reversals after that judgment it is irreversible and it is internal for those who end up in the presence of God it is incredible eternally secure in the presence of God, enjoying his goodness and his grace and his work. Because he's working all the time with us. Forever and ever and ever. You know, the Apostle Paul talked about, you know, leaving this life and going to the next. And some of the things he said was, you know, it, to, be, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. How awesome is that? I don't know what to decide, Paul said one time in Timothy, whether I want to die and go and be with the Lord, that would be so wonderful. But for me to stay here and keep working, man, that's really good for you, and I don't even know how to decide this. But how, what an incredible way to live. I'm good here, and I'm good if I go, and it's all good because God is at work in my life. And Paul says, as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Oh my goodness, you have no idea what wonderful things await you if you die in Jesus. You know, I, my dad is uh, 86 years old. Not that that's old, because I'm around people that are even older than that, but he has had a real tough bout with covid and then the post-COVID pneumonia and the weakness. And boy, he's, he, my dad is an, he's an incredible fighter. He keeps, I'm trying to get stronger, Eddie. I'm trying to get stronger. I'm doing my best. And, but there was a day in the middle of his COVID experience where he just couldn't even move. He says, Eddie, I just don't know what's going on. I'm like covered with something. I can't even move. He says, sometimes I just want to, I want to go on and rest. I said, well, Dad, you don't get to decide that. And besides, you might as well put away that idea of going on and resting because I'm telling you, Mom's going to meet you at the pearly gates and she will have a tour lined up. <laughs> I know my mom. She'd be like, boy, you got to come over here and look at this. Oh, man, this and that. There will be no resting. When I think, though, about the joys that are described in these words, it helps to deal with the reality of death. 
no eye has seen nor ear has heard nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Now, I don't want to get too technical, but um, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't think we have a body in that first transition, and I, I'm a little hesitant because it takes a long time to unpack this truth. But um, Jesus on the cross says, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And his spirit went, and his body died, and his body was in the tomb. And three days later, his spirit came to the body, and he resurrected from the grave. And he is the first fruits of the resurrection. Okay, so um, I, I don't. there's an interim period, period there where I'm not sure what's going on. But the truth is that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4... This is the passage that is written to encourage people as they're trying to think about death and dying and what in the world's going on. Uh, listen to this. I love this passage. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep or those who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. And then drum roll, trumpet blast. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Because you see, Jesus is coming back. And the day of resurrection is going to happen. You know, it reminds me of this little boy that went to church and he heard the preacher preach. He was listening pretty carefully and he said, that the preacher was saying, you know what? Uh, God created man out of the dust of the earth and breathed into him. And so from dust you came and dust you will return. That's the cycle of life, right? From dust you came and dust you return. He was playing in his bedroom one day and he got down on the floor and he looked under his bed and it was so dusty. And excitedly he jumps up and he runs to his mom and says, Mom, Mom, come quick. I think somebody died under my bed. Is that what your, looks like under your bed? Don't ask me. God promises for those who are in Jesus when we die we go immediately into the presence of God it will be amazing and then the grand reunion and the day of resurrection 1 Corinthians 15 53 to 54 for this corruption must put on incorruption you know, this body is corruptible. I mean, there, honestly, the, a lot of people in church scare me to death. Can I tell you that? Because I meet some of our seniors and they say to me things like this. You know, Eddie, these golden years, man, they're harder than I ever thought they were going to be. My knees hurt, my back hurts. And I don't want to admit to you that maybe I'm beginning to feel some of those things, right? Okay. Why? 
because we live in corruptible bodies. This corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality so that when this corruptible has put on incorruptible and the mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. It's going to be good. You know, when God made Adam and Eve, he made Adam, he, he formed him out of the dust of the earth and he breathed into Adam. It was, he was just kind of like a form on the ground, apparently, and God breathed into him and the Bible says he became a living soul. You have been given a soul. You didn't make it. You didn't ask for it. You can't destroy it. But you are here. You are an eternal being. You will never cease to exist. And for those who know God, it will be glorious. For those who do not know God, hell is real and more terrible than anyone has ever described. Hell is not just about what will happen to you. Hell, hell is about what is going to happen in you. Hell is not just about being trapped in some bad circumstances that you could get out of, but you're actually trapped inside of yourself. You will finally fully be able to indulge whatever appetite you have given your soul to and, and, and that will become your little God that will torment you through all of time and eternity and there will be no presence of God to rescue you or transform you or redeem you. But for those of us who are in Christ, you will live forevermore. You will live and become everything you were intended to become. Because you see, when we see him, we shall be as he is. And it's going to be so amazing. You don't even know how good you're going to be yet. But because Jesus went to a cross and he paid for us. If you put your faith in Jesus one minute after you die, you will wake up on the other side and you will be absolutely grateful for all he has done. And you will enjoy all of the beauty and comforts that he has provided. And you will be eternally secure. In the meantime, some of you even here in this room or perhaps listening online, you deal with great pain. You hurt. It's not getting better. Some of you maybe are going through illness that is not going to get better. It's going to keep wearing on you and hurting you, and it is a constant reality in your life. Some of you deal with relational struggles that hurt and confuse, and they're so heavy and difficult. And, and I just want to tell you that if you are in Christ, you will die and wake up and everything will be okay. And there'll be no more tears or sickness or pain or death. And you'll be transformed by being in the very presence of Jesus. The important thing is you gotta get ready. You gotta make the right choice. I want to ask you to bow your heads if you will.